Amen. We've been in a study on the lesser-known biblical characters for several weeks now. We've looked at the courage of Benaiah, who was one of David's mighty men, listed in 2 Samuel. We've looked at the spirit of peace in Abigail in 1 Samuel 25. And we've looked at the grace and mercy of God through Hagar's experience in Genesis chapter 16 and 21. And we've even looked at the foolishness of Balaam chasing after his temptations instead of shutting them down in Numbers 22. But today, we're looking at another lesser-known character named Jethro. With Jethro and Moses, we see a model of friendship and a model of relationships that we should be modeling in the church body. We're first introduced to Jethro in Exodus chapter 2. But let's give a little Moses background. Now, Moses was born as an Israelite at a time when Pharaoh had decreed that all male babies born to the Israelites were to be killed. So his mother hides him for a time until he gets a little too big to be hidden anymore. So she devises up this plan. She sticks him in a basket, and then she sends him down the river. And as he's floating down the river, the Pharaoh's daughter finds him. And she decides to take him and raise him as her own. And so Moses is raised as part of Pharaoh's royal family. But then one day he's out milling among the people. And he sees the Israelites being beaten up. The Egyptians, the slave masters, are beating up one of his people. He knows that they're his people. So he steps in to stop it and ends up killing the Egyptian in the process. And that's where we're going to pick up Moses' story, as he's running from Egypt after killing the Egyptian. Exodus 2, starting in verse 15, says, And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened. And he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters who came as usual to draw water and fill the water troughs for their father's flocks. But some other shepherds had come and chased them away. So Moses jumped up and rescued the girls from the shepherds. Then he drew the water for their flocks. When the girls returned to Ruel, which is Jethro's other name, the father asked, why are you back so soon today? An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds, they answered. And then he drew water for us and watered our flocks. Then where is he? their father asked. Why did you leave him there? Invite him to come and eat with us. Moses accepted the invitation and he settled there with him. In time, Rule gave Moses, his daughter Zipporah, to be his wife. Later, she gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, for he explained, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. You see, Jethro is a shepherd, and he's a Midian priest. You know, the Midians were actually distant cousins to the Israelites. Abraham had two wives. His second wife, Keturah, had a son whose descendants were the Midianites. And so these are distant cousins. 
And so we see Jethro's gift of hospitality in welcoming Moses. This is a stranger. Didn't know anything about him other than he had just saved his daughters. And so what? come, stay with us. Stay with us. He was grateful for the protection that Moses had offered his daughters. And then Moses marries Zipporah, one of Jethro's daughters. And he stays and works as a shepherd for Jethro for 40 years, right up until that day, the fateful day where he heard God through the burning bush. And he goes back to Egypt to free the Israelites from slavery. And then the next time we read about Jethro, he's coming to visit Moses. We hear again of his kindness and hospitality and caring for Moses' wife, Zipporah, and their two sons. He's been housing them while Moses has been doing what God told him to do. And he returns them safely to Moses. So Moses runs out to meet Jethro in the wilderness. He bows down. He kisses his feet. I don't do that to my friends. What about you? Is that how you greet your friends? That is a warm homecoming. We can see the respect and the gratitude that Moses has for Jethro. That kind of friendship, that's a blessing. And so they ask about each other's welfare. And then they went into Moses' tent. Moses told his father-in-law everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh in Egypt on behalf of Israel. He also told about all the hardships they had experienced along the way and how the Lord had rescued his people from all their troubles. Think about all that Moses had seen since the burning bush. He had witnessed ten plagues come upon the Egyptians. He had watched the Red Sea parted for the Israelites and then crashed down on Pharaoh's army. He saw water pour out of a rock. He saw manna fall from the sky for their hunger. And they had watched God give them victory in a battle over the Amalekites. And verse 9 tells us Jethro was delighted when he heard about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel. That's twice the good things that the Lord had done. What was shared and what was heard. The good things that the Lord had done. Not what Moses did, but what God did. I imagine there could have been some great temptation for Moses to tell the stories of what he had seen from the perspective of what he had done. I raised my staff, and the water parted. I raised my staff, and the water came crashing back. I hit a rock, and water poured out of it. That temptation is there for us, too. We avoid a car accident. We want to chalk it up to our superior driving skills. When in reality, our safety and our protection is all about God's intervention and his goodness. 
We have loving family and loving friends around us. We want to think it's our charm in our positive attitude. When it's really all about God's goodness. We celebrate God's sightings here during our welcome time so that we can hear what God is doing in our lives and celebrate what God is doing. You know, Debbie's story, Aaron's story today, Mary's story, they're all about what God was doing in the moment. Not about what we were doing, but what he was doing. There's a twofold lesson for us here in this relationship between Moses and Jethro. We need to share what God is doing in our lives. When was the last time you shared all that Jesus has done in your life? Because that's your testimony. That's given to you so that you will share it with others. So you can share the glory of God with those around you. You can share the goodness of God that you've seen in your life. Peter wrote that we always need to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for that hope that we have. That is what our testimony is for, to tell others about our hope. You see, verse 11 tells us what happens as a result of Moses' sharing of all of God's goodness. He says, I know now that the Lord is greater than all other gods because he rescued his people from the oppression of the proud Egyptians. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. Aaron and all the elders of Israel came out and joined him in a sacrificial meal in God's presence. Moses' testimony persuades Jethro to proclaim, There is no God like the Lord. When we share the work of God in our lives, when we share with others his goodness to us in our hardships, others will see the greatness of our Lord. That's what it's all about. And they will celebrate with us. I was in a conversation recently between two Christian men. And one of the men was sharing about, oh, everything that was going on. I'm doing this. And you'll never guess, I'm doing this. You'll never guess, I'm able to do this. I'm doing this. And the other man, as he started to share, he said, God gave me the opportunity to do this. And God gave me the opportunity. God lined up this perfectly for me so this could happen. The perspectives were striking. Here is one. Yes, both of them were saved men. I'm not, I'm, that's not what this is about. But for someone that's listening to that conversation, here's one, look at me, look what I did. And here's one saying, no, look what God did. There's a big difference in those two stories. The second lesson for us in this example is how we listen to one another. Verse 9 says, Jethro was delighted when he heard about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel. 
He was delighted to hear Moses talk about God. How often do we ask someone, how are you doing? And we're really hoping for that quick, good, I'm okay. So we can just keep going on our way and get to the things that we need to do. You see, listening and listening and hearing what another is saying to you, that's one of the kindest things that we can do. Well, Pastor, that makes sense for my friends, but what about those strangers and those people I don't know? Do I have to listen to them too? They're not my friends. Well, what if I said to you that maybe you are the only friend that they will have that day or that week, you listening for five minutes? That might be the only contact with a friend that they have. Isn't that what Jesus would do? Scripture's full of stories of him going up to people and just, how are you? Hearing their stories. There's a kind of a running joke in in our family where everywhere I go, people like to talk to me. It's, It's... as long as I can remember, people just really like to tell me their stories. Oftentimes, much more than what should be shared is what I hear. And so, but before Jesus, before I knew Jesus, I thought of it more as a curse. Oh, why do I, I, I don't want to hear this. I really, I really have things to do. I really, I don't want to hear any of this. And so I'd come up with ways to get out of the conversation rather quickly. But after Jesus, after Jesus came in and stole my heart, I've now come around to see it as a blessing. We were shopping this week, and our cashier... I simply asked how she was doing, and she began to tell me her entire life story. She was, she has a daughter that's an adult. She uh, used to be an airline attendant. She used to work for this airline, then went to this airline, and, and I could go on and on. I could tell you her entire story. She was talking to me so long that the manager of the store had, was coming up to tell her to stop. That's how long she was talking. But all she wanted was someone to listen. That was all she needed. She just wanted someone to listen to her. What a privilege and an honor it is to be trusted by someone with their story, their struggle, their hardship, or their blessing. We have the wrong perspective. When we're standing there before someone, it's not about us. It's about what God wants to do. We can say, well, pastor, I love hearing someone talk about God, but most people don't want to talk about God. They want to talk about other stuff, just trivial stuff. Well, I would disagree with you. It is God's stuff. Even if God's name isn't mentioned, it's still God's stuff. We serve a sovereign God. He's in control. He's all-knowing. And if he's in control of every moment and he puts you right in front of a person that needs you to listen, then God is in it. That's God's stuff. 
And we need to stop with our blinders, take those off, and look what God is doing in the moment, and listen. But back to our text, verse 13 tells us, The next day Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning till evening. So Moses is sitting before this large group of Israelites, and he's hearing disputes all day long, morning till night. You know, if you spend any time with children, you can only imagine how exhausting this would have been for Moses. And so Jethro speaks up, what are you really accomplishing here? What are you trying to, why are you trying to do this all alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? So Jethro proceeds to give Moses advice. Now, on the surface, this advice entails delegating the work, which is an important practice for us. We can't and shouldn't be that one man or woman show. That's not how we're designed. We're designed to work together. But there's a great theological lesson here in Jethro's advice to Moses. When we look at why did Moses need help, Verse 15 tells us that the people were coming to seek God's will in their disputes. They had no clear way of knowing on their own. So they put that burden on Moses to tell them. Since the beginning of humankind, God has been raising up a people to know him. But it isn't enough to just know of him. It's not enough to just know his laws. You see, his laws must be written on our hearts. You know, this entire scene takes place at the base of Mount Sinai. The same Mount Sinai that Moses is about to climb up to get the Ten Commandments. The same commandments that Moses reminds the Israelites of 40 years later from this moment. He says to them in Deuteronomy, You shall teach these laws Diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they should be as frontals on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house, on your gates. They shall be on your heart. David says a similar thing in Psalm 48 I desire to do your will, God. Your laws within my heart. You see, the purpose for having the law written on our heart is that God-honoring behavior will follow what we know about God's character. That's what the Israelites were looking for. How to act according to God's law. But they didn't have a relationship with God, so they couldn't know it. But Moses did. Moses had a relationship with God. The Israelites didn't. And so they were burdening him. Well, you know God. So you need to fix this. Tell me what God, what's God going to tell me to do? Because they didn't have the law written on their hearts. They didn't have a relationship with God the way Moses did. Moses replies to Jethro. Because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me. I am the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. 
I inform the people of God's decrees and give them instructions. You know, this law that we're talking about, it's not just a checklist of do's and don'ts. That's not what it's about. It's understanding the very character of God and who he is. This book, it's the entire story of how God loves and cares for his people. This is God's law. It's his story of love. It's not just do's and don'ts. See, to have the law written on your hearts to know God. And if we know God, not just know about him, but really know him, then his law is written on our heart. We're filled with grace. And grace is the essential piece for being a follower of Christ. You see, like the Israelites who are coming to Moses for direction, we need to discern every day what God wants us to do. It isn't always easy to know what God requires of us in every single situation. And the Bible is not just this morality manual with an index that we can flip through for whatever topic we need. It doesn't work that way. Yes, the Bible is full of answers. Don't get me wrong. And it's full of instructions and directions. But those answers are only available through God's revelation of himself. We find the answers when we know God. When his law is written on our hearts. As his law is written in our hearts, our wills are being conformed to his will. And then as we live day by day, as we struggle in our decisions... That's when we get to know him more and more. Then we begin to lean towards him the way a flower grows towards the sun. It's in that process that we seek God with our whole hearts. Because like the Israelites, we want to do his will. We want to do what he wants us to do. But it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just, oh, I have the Spirit. I'm good. Now I'm just going to do everything God wants me to do. It doesn't work that way. We need someone to come along and teach us. Which leads us to Jethro's advice in verse 20. Teach them God's decrees and give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives. That sounds a lot like Jesus' command to the disciples before he ascended back to heaven. In Matthew 28, Go therefore make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Sounds like discipleship. Training up another in the ways of God so that the burden is lessened for everyone when they do their part, when they discover their purpose. You see, when Moses taught the others about God's decrees and gave them God's instructions, he was able to accomplish more for God. In fact, the entire Israelite nation accomplished more for God when they recognized God's law written on their hearts, and they in turn acted accordingly. Isn't that what we, the body of Christ, are called to do? 
guide one another, help one another along this journey. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. As followers of Christ, we're to encourage one another, to challenge one another, to grow more and more like Christ. Teaching and reminding one another of the law of God that's written in our hearts through his mercy and grace. And teaching how we should act according to the law written on our heart, according to the character of our God. And the cool thing is that Moses and Jethro just showed us how to do it. It starts simply by sharing about God's work. We all see God in our lives. We all have a testimony. What are you doing with it? Are you just keeping it locked up? It's got to be out there for others to hear. And listening. Listening is, is tossed aside these days. And there's a difference between hearing and listening. Hearing occurs without our knowledge. Hearing is just what our ears do when there's sound around. Listening is a conscious choice. Listening involves processing what someone is saying. Listening involves taking in everything that someone is saying. Most of the problems in the world today can be attributed to the fact that we don't listen to one another. Listening is the simplest form of kindness that we can do. And the second way to teach others is by sharing God's work in your life. When we hear how God helped you through a hardship, it gives us hope. It gives us encouragement for our troubles. Well, if God helped you, then I know that God's going to help me. And so then we rejoice and we praise together. We celebrate our Savior. You see, Exodus chapter 2 opens by identifying Jethro as a priest of Midian and father-in-law to Moses. And then for the next 26 verses, Jethro is no longer mentioned by his title, but rather by his relationship and his connection to Moses. He is referred to as Moses' father-in-law 11 times in that short amount of verses. 11 times. Our friendships matter. Our relationships matter. They matter so much that Jesus stepped out of heaven to restore our relationship with the Father. Jesus told his disciples, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And that's exactly what he did. For every one of us, a friend of Jesus, he laid down his life to restore relationship, first with God and then with one another. And so we come to celebrate communion this morning.
And we read from 1 Corinthians 11, as Paul was sharing communion with the Corinthians. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, The cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Communion is a celebration of Jesus' restoring our relationship to the Father. If you don't think relationships matter, look what Jesus did to restore a relationship. Communion causes us to look ahead with hope. The word tells us that Jesus is coming back again. King of Kings is coming back. As you come forward, ask the Lord to search your heart. Ask him to search your heart for the relationships that you have. God, what do I need to do to make them better? What do I need to do to make my relationships honor you? Help me, Lord, to have patience. Yes, I just asked for patience. Because we all need it. And it's for our own good. Because when we are patient with others, they recognize the difference. Jesus is worth it.